All right, welcome back. It feels weird. We're recording this on a Saturday. It's like 6.30. Hopefully, I'll get this out in time for it to be coming out on Saturday. If it is, happy Veterans Day to all those who served. Um, thank you so much for your service. We, I mean, the whole, everyone is in debt to you. Just 100%, no question. Um, back at it with the top 100. We have numbers 40 to 21 today. Part four of five. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Hit that music. You're listening to The Assist with Trevor Hart. Number 40, Dikembe Mutombo. The best rim protector to ever play the game without question. Dikembe ruled the paint for his whole career. He started out his career as an all-star by averaging 16.6 points, 12.3 rebounds, and 3 blocks per game. He would fall out of all-star contention until the 94-95 season. The season after, he and the Nuggets were the first 8 seed to ever beat a 1 seed where he would average 12.6 points, 12.2 rebounds, and an astonishing 6.2 blocks per game in the five-game series over the Sonics. The 93-94 season would also be Dikembe's first of three straight seasons leading the league in blocks at 4.1, 3.9, and 4.5 per game. You can now see how players would always brag about it if they could dunk on Dikembe. He would become a constant All-Star in 94-95, the same year he would win his first Defensive Player of the Year. He would then sign with the Hawks in 96-97, where he would get four more All-Star nods. He would also win back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year's for his first two years in Atlanta. He would then win another Defensive Player of the Year in 2000-2001, a year where he would be traded to the 76ers after leading the league in rebounds at 14.1 in 99-2000. He would lead the league in rebounds again at 13.5 per game, and the Sixers would make it to the finals of square off against the Lakers. Matumbo would be the second leading scorer behind Allen Iverson. It's just that AI averaged 35.6 points per game, and Dikembe averaged 16.8. Now you see how the series only lasted five games. Matumbo would also add on 12.2 rebounds per game and 2.2 blocks in this series, going up against Shaq. He would add one more All-Star appearance in 0102 before bouncing around to New Jersey, New York, and even a stint in Chicago where he would be traded to the Rockets before playing a game in the Windy City. Matumbo would play five seasons for the Rockets, and it would not amount to much. Matumbo is tied for most defensive player of the years, won by a player with four with Rudy Gobert. He would average 9.8 points, 10.3 rebounds, and an unbelievable 2.8 blocks per game for his career earning him a Hall of Fame induction in 2015. Number 39, Kyrie Irving. Irving and Curry, one-on-one, Irving puts it up. It's good, Kyrie Irving from downtown! The smoothest handles that the game has ever seen, Kyrie has been putting people on skates for over a decade. Such a clear talent from the get-go, Kyrie was the obvious number one pick in a 2011 draft, even after playing only 11 games at Duke. The Cavs would end up making the right choice as he would win an 11-12 Rookie of the Year, averaging 18.5 points and 5.4 assists per game on a pretty bad team. He would continue to be on pretty bad Cavs teams as an All-Star up until the 2014-2015 season, when the King came home. That's right, LeBron is back. As some people said, half enthusiastically after realizing they'll have to buy another jersey after burning their original in 2012. And LeBron wants to play with Kyrie, and then they get Kevin Love to join him in the land. It would work out right away as Kyrie would still average around 20 points per game and 5.6 assists per game on a team that would make the finals in the first year of their revamped look. There's a problem. Kevin Love was injured early in the playoffs, and Kyrie would leave Game 1 of the Finals with a knee injury. So the series would go to Warriors in 6. The next season would have one goal. Championship or bust. So, bring on Round 2 of Cavs vs. Warriors. 
Kyrie was incredible in a rematch series, averaging 27.1 points, 3.9 assists, and 2.1 steals per game, and hitting probably the clutchest shot we have ever seen in Game 7. I know you already heard it, but let's hear it again. Still crazy me how that is not the part of that game that is most remembered. The Cavs would match up with the Warriors for a third time, but now the Dubs have Kevin Durant, as if the original team was hard enough to beat. Irving would average 29.4 points, 4.4 assists, and a steal per game in the five-game series. Now, there has been one question that was really asked over all those years, especially when LeBron came in. How would Kyrie be with his own team? Not like the really bad Cavs teams, but if he had a solid core around him, how would Kyrie be on his own? Well, 2017-2018 would be the time to find out. He would be traded to Boston to get out of LeBron's shadow, and it was okay, I guess. It was an exciting team that should have gone far. I mean, they had players like Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Jason Tatum as a rookie, and recently acquired Gordon Hayward. Their first game was back in Cleveland to see the rematch, I guess, and the, how to reunite, I guess. LeBron and Kyrie to put, pit him against each other. This happened five minutes into that game. Is creating his own legacy. What better way with this young team? This is the guy that probably hit the biggest shot in Cavs history. They're going up. Oh, my goodness. Hayward came down so hard. Okay. Hayward broke his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. Hayward has broken his leg. Hayward's injury would set the Celtics on a weird path, even though they would still finish 55-27. and 27. They would make their way through the playoffs until they ran into the Cavs. It would be a hard-fought series, but LeBron would take this one in seven games. Their next year would not be any better as they would be the fourth seed in the East and lose to the Bucks in the second round. Well, the experiment, of Ky- the experiment of Kyrie having his own team wasn't that successful, but they were outside circumstances. But now he's a free agent, so what's going to happen now? What would happen is that Brooklyn would be his next destination as he would team up with his with a really good buddy of his, Kevin Durant. He would immediately only play 20 games in his first year with the Nets as he and Durant dealt with injuries. The Nets still finished 7th in the East without them, so they should be pretty good. Kyrie would play 54 games in 2020-2021 as he and Durant would be joined by James Harden. Alright, we all know what happened. The three stars would only play a handful of games together due to injuries and, other, and uh, you know, other reasons. So, the Nets naturally blew it up. Harden went to Philly in 21-22. KD would go to Phoenix and Kyrie would go to Dallas a few days before that. Kyrie would only play 20 games in the regular season with Dallas as he and Luka Doncic would finish 11th in the West. And right away, people were wondering if it was going to work and if Kyrie, you know, would even sign back with the Mavs due to his contract being up after those 20 games. Well, he has, he did re-sign for an extra three years, so we'll have to see what he and Luka will do over the next few years. Because, I mean, Doncic keeps getting better year by year, and Kyrie is an incredible talent that is still only 31 years old. Number 38, Ray Allen. You see guys walk in the gym and they kind of mess around and shoot. They're never game shots. So my warm-ups are free throws. You know, that's where I work on my release. Shooting for me is not about my upper body. It's really about my lower body. So when I'm shooting the ball like I need to, I jump in this one motion. A guy who evolved his career from a great player to an all-timer Jesus Shuttlesworth went from a freak athlete to the greatest shooter the league had ever seen to that point. The fifth pick in a stacked 96 draft, Allen would start out in the all-rookie team alongside AI and Kobe, averaging 13 a game. He would be a solid player, but would not make the All-Star game until 99-2000, as he would then he would make three in a row after that as an athletic freak for the Bucks. He would miss the All-Star game in 2003, the same year he would be a part of a blockbuster trade that would send him with Ronald Murray and Kevin Ollie to Seattle for Desmond Mason and Gary Payton. This is where Allen would kind of blend his skill set with an outside shooting touch to his athleticism. 
He would make four All-Stars in the reigning city as he was a clear star for the Sonics up until the summer of 2007. This is where Allen would be traded to Boston to join forces with Paul Pierce in June. And then the big ticket would be traded there in July. Kevin Garnett would take them from a solid team with two stars to the big three that would go on to win it all in 07-08. Allen would average 20.3 points on 52.4% from three. Oh yeah, Allen would change his career to become a pure sharpshooter to complement Pearson Garnett. When the Celtics made it to the finals again in 2010, Allen's production would go down to 14.6 points per game on 29% from three as this came in his age 34 season. The next season would be the most important of his career, as he was chasing Reggie Miller's all-time three-point record. The eventful date would come on February 10th, 2011, as Reggie Miller was on the call. This would be his legacy in Boston, as he would get one ring, three All-Stars, and of course, the all-time leadership in three-pointers. He would then sign with the Heat in 2012 to join LeBron, Bosch, and Wade and try to help him win their second ring. Let's just say he accomplished that goal. Should the Spurs foul? goes for the three right away. Just attack the basket. James catches, puts up the three. Will go. Rebound, Bosch. Back out to Allen. History title. That would be the last touch of greatness that we would see from Allen as he would finish his career the next year in 13-14. He would retire holding the all-time three-point record while averaging 18.9 points per game on 40% from three. And that all-time three-point record would not be broken for another decade. Allen made the Hall of Fame in 2018. Number 37, David Robinson. Slam back. I thought he was going to grab the top of the backboard and hang on that. My goodness. The center who has been overshadowed by just about every other center from his era, the Admiral could do it all. The number one pick in the 87 draft, Robinson would not play until the 1989-90 season due to him serving in the Navy. Isn't that really fitting? Happy Veterans Day. He would start off his career red hot, scoring 24.3 points while bringing down 12 rebounds per game, making the All-Star team and winning Rookie of the Year. He would constantly make the All-Star game for his entire career, only missing the 96-97 season where he would play six games, 98-99 season where there was no game due to the lockout, and 0-1-0-2 and 0-2-0-3, his age 36 and 37 seasons. He would lead the league in rebounds in his second season at 13 per game out-rebounding Dennis Rodman by half a rebound a game. He would follow that up by leading the league in blocks at 4.5 per game, while also winning the 91-92 Defensive Player of the Year. This hot start would help him earn a selection to the Dream Team for the 92 Olympics to prove what the pros could do for the U.S. He would then take a break from leading the league in anything before taking the 93-94 scoring title. He would then follow that up by winning the 94-95 MVP, averaging 27.6 points, 10.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 1.7 steals, and 3.2 blocks per game as the Spurs could not get over the Houston hump in the playoffs. Robinson is probably alright with that because he would finally win a ring in 1999 in the lockout shortened season as he would beat the 8-seed Knicks in 5 games joined by Tim Duncan. Robinson would average 16.6 points per game, 11.8 rebounds, and 3 blocks for the series. He would win another ring in his final year, 0-2-0-3, as he was helped out quite a bit by Duncan, Tony Parker, and Malu Ginobili, as the Spurs would beat the Nets in 6 games. Robinson would still average 10.8 points, 1.2 steals, and 1.8 blocks per game at the age of 37. He would finish his career averaging 21.1 points per game, 10.6 rebounds, and 3 blocks with a ton of accolades to more than make his case for his Hall of Fame nod in 2009. Number 36, Dominique Wilkins. Set by Conkak to Livingston. Atlanta will run. Neek. Shot! Oh, 
Drives right, spins. Oh, what a move! The dunker. The human highlight film was also a great score that went tit for tat with the best of them. He would be a solid player, nearly scored 20 plus points per game for his first three seasons, but it never came with any All Stars. Then his fourth year happened. Dominique would go from a zero time All Star to leading the league in scoring at 30.3 points per game in 85 86, outscoring Adrian Danley and Alex English by half a point per game and Larry Bird by almost 5 points per game. He would make 11 straight All-Stars after doing so, and not score under 26 points per game for another 10 years. Outside of dueling with Michael Jordan in the dunk contest, he would match up with Larry Bird in the playoffs quite often. The two would meet three times as they would really brought out the best in each other. This was really evident in 87-88 as Neek would average 31.3 points to take the Celtics to seven games. The next highest score on the Hawks, Doc Rivers at 17.6 points per game. But Bird always got the best of him. He would be traded to the Clippers for Danny Manning in 1994, and that would be his final All-Star year. He would then bounce around to Boston, San Antonio, and Orlando to finish out his career. He would average 24.8 points and 6.7 rebounds as one of the most entertaining players the league has ever seen while making many stars that much better along the way. He would make the Hall in 2006 as he is also the only player people really think of when they are asked about the Hawks. Number 35, John Stockton. All-time assist King was an incredible player that could ignite an offense from both ends. Being the 16th pick coming out of Gonzaga in the 84 draft, it may have been kind of difficult to see what Stockton could have been. He would not do much in his first three years in the league. Sounds familiar. He would jump to an all-time point guard as he would lead the league in assists for the next nine seasons, averaging... 13.2, 13.6, 14.5, 14.7, 14.8, 14.7, 14.8, 14.7, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 14.8, 
He was a great player on a Celtics team that could not get over the hump at first, but then they started missing the playoffs. That all is about to change. As I mentioned earlier, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett came to town, and it was the epitome of a game-changer. Pierce will win the 2008 Finals MVP as the Celtics beat the Lakers in six games, averaging 21.8 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 6.2 assists per game. He would lead the Celtics in scoring again in 2010 Finals against the Lakers, but his 18 points per game wasn't enough in the 4-3 series loss. Although Pierce's scoring fell below 20 points per game when Allen and KG came down, it didn't matter. Pierce had a ring and was the best player on a championship team and a runner-up. The Celtics would eventually fall apart with Rondo going to Dallas, Allen going to Miami, and Pierce and KG being traded to the Nets to join Brooke Lopez, Joe Johnson, and Darren Williams. This is an awesome team. On paper. The one thing that people like 13-year-old me didn't realize was that Darren Williams was 29, Joe Johnson was 32, Pierce was 36, and KG was 37. This lineup was not going to work from the word go, although they would make the second round of the playoffs, though. It's not like that trade has made the Celtics what they are today or anything, as it would net them Jalen Brown, Markel Fultz, who would be traded for Jason Tatum, and Colin Sexton, who would be involved in the Kyrie Irving trade. Pierce would only be in Brooklyn for a year while signing in Washington, where he would have a pretty cool moment in the playoffs his one year there. Against Golden State. Now that series, when they blew a 20-point lead against the Warriors, Beal letting the clock wind down. Beal against Baysmore. Here comes Pierce with five seconds left. Pierce with three. Pierce with two. Pierce fall away at the horn. It's gone! His interview after was even better. He would then go to his hometown of L.A. to play with the Clippers under his former Celtics head coach, Doc Rivers, where he wouldn't do very much at all. He would then sign back with the Celtics for a day to finish his career with the franchise that gave him the opportunity to be a Hall of Famer. You may not have liked what he said on TV, and even called him crazy at, at, for most of the things he said. But his game was undeniable, and he would cement that in his 2001, 2021 excuse me, Hall of Fame induction. Number 33, Patrick Ewing. Dominating center that made the game exciting again in Madison Square Garden, Ewing turned the Knicks from nobodies to contenders. For being one of the best NBA prospects that the league had seen up to that point, Ewing lived up to his Georgetown days by winning the 85-86 Rookie of the Year and making the All-Star team. He would miss the next All-Star game, even though he averaged more in nearly every category, but he would then make 10 straight starting in 87-88. Although he never he would never lead the league in score in any category, Ewing was completely dominant for the Knicks, as they would go from missing the playoffs in his first two years to making the playoffs from 87-88 to 1999-2000. Ewing would have been a champion if it was not for the Bulls. But if you can't beat them, beat the living crap out of them to make them better. Ewing and the Knicks made Michael and Scotty better, just like the Bad Boys Pistons did before them. The Knicks would also struggle with Reggie Miller's Pacers and a lot of the rough-and-tumble Eastern Conference. But they eventually did make it through the gauntlet in 93-94 and 98-99. 93-94 would have Ewing face off against Akeem Olajuwon and the Rockets, where the 4-3 loss would have winning margins of 7, 8, 4, 9, 7, 2, and 6. You may also know this series for being pushed to the side of the screen as O.J. Simpson was in a slow speed chase with police. Anyway, Ewing would average 18.9 points, 12.4 rebounds, 1.3 steals, and 4.3 blocks per game against a really good Akeem Olajuwon. The 98-99 finals against Spurs was not as close as Ewing would not play for the 8-seed next. 
He would eventually be traded to the Sonics in 2000 and then sign with the Magic in 2001 to end his career. He would average 21 points, 9.8 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, and would become the face of the Knicks as well as become a member of the Dream Team, earning him a Hall of Fame induction in 2008. Number 32, Scottie Pippen. Shot clock at six. Davis. Oakley rejected by Grant. Myers for Pippen. Whoa, a faithful. Scottie Pippen in the face of Patrick Ewing. One of the best players to ever do it. Pippen was way more than Michael Sidekick. He was a constant all-star starting in 89-90, missing the 99-1 season, and then making six straight after that. He was a solid double-figure scorer except for his first and last seasons in the league. He would also only average under one steal per game in his last season. You can see how he and MJ fit so well. They busted their tails off on both ends of the floor. My favorite example of this is when the Dream Team was getting ready to play against Croatia in the Olympics and recent Bulls draft pick Tony Kukoc. Jordan and Pippen were legit arguing over who got to guard Kukoc and make his day a living hell. They both ended up doing so, just to show how much Kukoc needed to work on his game before coming over to the States. In the Bulls' first championship in 91, Pippen would average 20.8 points, 9.4 rebounds, 6.6 assists, 2.4 steals, and a block against Magic, Worthy, and the Lakers. He would put up similar numbers in the next year against Clyde Drexler and the Trailblazers with 20.8 points again, 8.3 rebounds, 7.7 assists, 1.5 steals, and .7 blocks per game. Their third ring against Charles Barkley and the Suns would have Pitt bring in 21.2 points, 9.2 rebounds, 7.7 assists, 2 steals, and a block per game. Then Michael would retire to play baseball. So it was Scotty's time to be that number one guy. And you know, he had an uptick in scoring, but it was around two points per game. And you know, he would lead the league in steals in 94-95 at 2.9 per game. But the Bulls would lose in the Eastern Semis. It was clear that Scotty needed Michael to win with this core. Michael would return and the Bulls would go 72-10 in his first full season and beat the Knicks, the Sonics, excuse me, in six games, Pippen would put up 15.7 points, 8.2 rebounds, 2.3 steals, and 1.3 blocks against Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. In the 97-98 finals against the Jazz with Stockton Malone, Pippen would have 20 points, 8.3 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and 1.8 blocks, and 15.7 points and 1.7 steals per game, respectively. The 98 finals was where Pippen was used as a decoy, even though he had terrible back pain. His presence on the floor was enough for the Jazz to stick on him, while even grimacing up and down the court. Scotty would then be traded to the Rockets to play alongside an aging Charles Barkley and Akeem Olajuwon in 98-99. He would then be traded to the Trailblazers the next year, where he would have some playoff success, but would be cut down by Kobe and Shaq and the Lakers each year he was there he would sign back with the Bulls for 23 games in 03-04 to end his Hall of Fame career so when the debate of who would win between the 73-9 and Warriors and the 72-10 and Bulls came up Scotty was kind of the reason I would say the Bulls would have won the Warriors did not have enough offensive firepower to deal with Jordan, Rodman, and Pippen on the defensive end. Jordan would pick up Curry, Pippen would pick up Clay. So where do you go after that? Because I mean, Draymond's picking has got Rodman's on Draymond. So where are you gonna go to? Iggy. Pippen would be inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2010. Number 31, Jerry West. There goes West. He's got it. Shelby in a set. West still with it. LaRusso. If you're a fan of the NBA, you're a fan of Jerry West in one way or another, since he's literally the logo for the association. 
West is probably the greatest player to win only one championship, which would come in 1972 at the age of 33. He was an all-star in each of his 14 years in the league, and he would always try his hardest against the Celtics in the finals. Tried so hard that he would win the finals MVP while on the losing team in 1969 as he would average 37.9 points and 7.4 assists in a 4-3 series loss. He would lead the league in scoring the next year by putting up 31.2 points per game. He would then lead the league in assists in 71-72 at 9.7 assists per game. He would then put up 19.8 points and 8.8 assists as he and Will would beat the Knicks in five games. The logo would obviously make the Hall of Fame in 1980. Number 30, Kawhi Leonard. I don't mind LaMarcus just taking that shot there after the ball's moved around. Leonard stopped Durant again. The best all on-ball defender of the era, Kawhi can kill you on both ends of the floor more specifically from mid-range on the offensive end. Kawhi started his career off by being traded on draft night to San Antonio from Indiana. Look, I know Paul George was good for the Pacers, but come on, man. We had Kawhi, and he was he was going to pair up with Paul George before that was even a thought to, later on. <sighs> More on that later. He was an all-right player his first couple years, but his coming-out party came in the 2014 Finals against the Heat. He would be switching off between guarding Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Talk about tough assignments on defense. He would step up to the challenge and would average 17.8 points, 1.6 steals, and 1.2 blocks per game and win the finals MVP. He would fall that season with leading the league in steals at 2.3 per game, along with winning the 2014-2015 Defense Player of the Year. He would then follow that year up by winning it a second year straight along with getting his first all-star nod as it would be his first year averaging 20-plus points per game. He would make the all-star game again in 16-17, but then only played nine games the next year. The Spurs were good, but they could not get over the hump of the Curry, Thompson, Green, and now Durant Warriors. Kawhi would then be traded in the summer 2018 to the Raptors with Danny Green for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl, and a first-rounder. With only one year left on his contract, people were wondering what the Raptors could make of this. People were also pretty confused about who is this guy because, you know, his introductory presser. And what would you like people to know about you? Uh, I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, there's just more questions you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. Like. <laughs> that fun guy right would end up averaging 26.6 points and 1.8 steals per game as well as making the All-Star game his first year in Toronto. The Raptors would make the playoffs, and Kawhi would carry them on his back to make it to the finals, including the first-ever buzzer beater in a Game 7 to beat the 76ers. You've got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the tagger? face off against that same Warrior squad that was so tough to beat in the West. But now they have DeMarcus Cousins. Kevin Durant was nursing an injury, but, you know, he came back just in time for the finals. And he tore his Achilles. Okay, don't have to worry about Durant. Cousins was not fully healthy either, and he was really a non-factor for the Dubs. So two things, two players don't have to worry about. When the series got to Game 6 with the Raptors up 3-2, everyone thought that the Warriors actually had a fighting chance because of Game 6 Clay, And he was living up to the hype. He had 28 points before Terry's ACL. He would end up hitting two free throws and finish the game with 30. It was now up to Curry and Draymond with around two minutes to go in the third to keep their season alive. But they were short too many pieces. The Raptors would win the 2019 championship 
and Kawhi would take home his second Finals MVP by averaging 28.5 points, 9.8 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 2 steals, and 1.2 blocks per game. Kawhi would end up becoming the best one-year rental that anyone had ever been as he took a solid playoff team to a championship just like that. He was seen as the best player in the world at the time because he, I mean, come on, he straight dominated. And with that, the rumor mill began to run. Is he going to sign with Boston? Is he going to go to the Lakers? Or is he going to go neither? It would be neither as he would sign with the Clippers to team up with Paul George after he was traded there from OKC. It was all part of like the same agreement. Kawhi was going to go to LA if they traded for Paul George. This team was set up for success, but it has not worked out yet. Probably thanks to load management. And I know the whole load management thing, joke and all that for Kawhi started when he joined the Clippers. But this guy has never played a full regular season. But I guess when you're under the bright L.A. lights, all of that just gets thrown out there. They would disappoint in the bubble by losing to the Nuggets and lose to the Suns in the Western Conference Finals the next year. Kawhi would not play in 21-22 due to an ACL injury as the Clippers would miss the playoffs. He would be back in 22-23 and the Clippers would add Russell Westbrook. But this is not the same Russell Westbrook that that was on the Thunder. Trust me. This year is hope this year is hopefully the one that the that the Clippers will get it done, excuse me, as they have just added James Harden to the roster. It's been pretty rocky so far, but you know, Harden hasn't gotten that much time. We will just have to see how it ends up this year. Number 29. Isaiah Thomas. Came up empty. Now Detroit again. Thomas. Oh, and is fouled as well, and he didn't even see the ball go in. That's amazing. We've seen some truly amazing shots, particularly from Detroit today. What you're seeing is a pro play. This guy's an all-star, nine years, and you'll see he sees the bump. Traditional point guard of the 80s and early 90s. Thomas was the face of the most infamous teams in basketball. If Magic is the 80s point guard to look for for flashiness and fun, Zeke is the guy to look for for being a solid, kind of undersized guard with all the fight in the world. He was an all-star every year except for his last in 93-94 at the age of 32. He was the guy on the bad boy Pistons. He also would get the team going when they needed him and really represented them wholly. He would lead the league in assists in 84-85 with 13.9 per game. They would not truly become the bad boys until about 86-87, I would put it, as Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn came into their own. They also added Adrian Dantley and had Dennis Rodman and John Sally as rookies. They would make the Eastern Conference Finals that year to lose to Bird, Parrish, McHale, and Dennis Johnson and the Celtics. They would finally make it past the Celtics as Joe Dumars got into the mix, but would lose to Magic, Worthy, Kareem, and Michael Cooper and the Lakers in seven games. Isaiah's legacy-defying mode would come in Game 6 of of these 88 Finals as he would score 25 on a freshly injured ankle. Isaiah Thomas is hurt down on the court underneath the basket. I couldn't tell what happened. And this is a tough one. Holding his right ankle, Billy. Mike Abdenauer, the trainer, is with him, and, and the Pistons are going to have to call a timeout because Isaiah started to get up. He got he up and then scoring went down 19.7 points, 9 assists, and 2.9 steals per game in the series. The Pistons will become straight-up deadly the next year as they would add the one guy picked above Isaiah in 1981. Mark Aguirre. The Pistons would roll as they would sweep the Lakers in the 89 finals, and Isaiah would average 21.3 points, 7.3 assists, and one and a half steals per game. The next year was almost the same result as the Pistons would beat the Trailblazers in five games. Isaiah would average 27.6 points, 5.2 rebounds, seven assists, and 1.6 steals per game to win the 1990 finals MVP turning the bad boys into a dynasty. 
But, you know, Isaiah really made one huge mistake in his career, though. Pissing off Michael Jordan the next year as the Bulls would sweep them. Not only were the Jordan rules hard enough on MJ, but Isaiah had to walk off the court before time expired as they were eliminated. You really did the job. Well, I think the crowd is cheering here for the Bulls right now. And the Pistons as they leave the court. I don't think they're cheering for the Bulls, but... uh... Denying Jordan the the passing of the torch that pretty was really deserved. This essentially denied Thomas the ability to be a part of the Dream Team. As I said, he was the bridesmaid in the situation. But it really wasn't just Michael that had a vendetta against Zeke. I guess it's just the price of winning. Isaiah would end up averaging 19.2 points, 9.3 assists, and 1.9 steals per game for his career, all with the Pistons, as he would make the Hall of Fame in the year 2000. Number 28, Reggie Miller. Houston and Utah tied at two early. We'll be going there at the conclusion of this game. A game that's seen nearly 60 fouls called. Actually, that is short of the record for both teams in a playoff game. Miller for three. And he got it. Reggie Miller with a clutch tray. And it's 105-102. And a steal. Miller retreats to the three-point line. And hits the game. The true player to look to for the start of the three-point revolution in basketball. Reggie made the Pacers relevant again in Indiana. It is truly difficult for the Pacers to be the big thing in this state. High school basketball always dominates the state throughout all of winter with Hoosier hysteria. Also, don't forget about IU-Purdue. In my opinion, the best basketball rivalry that there is. Pacers dominated the ABA, but would struggle mightily once they made it to the NBA. But Reggie changed all that. Even though Hoosiers hated the pick at first because the Pacers did not select hometown hero Steve Alford, Miller was the true right choice. Really the only choice. Reggie was a five-time All-Star over a decade, starting in 89-90. In 93-94, the Pistons went from a team that would be bounced out of the first round every year to making it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks where this would spark one of the most underrated rivalries of the 90s. I highly encourage you to check out the 30 for 30 winning time Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. It does a great job of taking a deep dive into this rivalry. They would make the Eastern Conference Finals the next year to lose to the Magic. And this is the one thing about Reggie's Pacers. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They would take a slide until Larry Bird came to town to be the head coach. The Pacers would give the Last Dance Bulls a run for their money as they took MJ, Scotty, and Rodman to Game 7. But it would fall the Bulls' way. They would make another Eastern Conference Finals but lose to the Knicks in 98-99 before finally cracking through the Finals just to face off against the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. Reggie would do his best as the Pacers would take them to six games and and he would average 24.3 points, shooting about 38% from three. They would not ever get there again. You know, but the closest they would get would be against the Pistons in 03-04 and the Pistons ended up going on to beat the Kobe Shaq Lakers and if you ever listen to Reggie Miller in interviews, he says whoever was going to win that Pistons-Pacers series was going to win the finals. They had a pretty good chance the next year, but the mouse of the palace happened, and the Pacers lost their chance for that year, and Reggie was going to retire after that season anyway. Reggie would end up retiring as the all-time three-point leader with 2,563s, and it would not be beaten until Ray Allen did so in 2011. Miller would average 18.2 points and 1.1 steals per game on 39.5% from three as he would make the Hall of Fame in 2012. Number 27, Dennis Rodman. 
offensive rebound, and that ties an NBA Finals record. 11 on the offensive glass for Wadman, and that was the big one. The greatest defender and rebounder of all time, Rodman made two separate franchises great with his play. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Drew, how can a guy who is not even on the top 20 in all-time rebounds be the best rebounder ever? Have you ever seen someone make rebounds flashy on a nightly basis? He seriously grabbed the ball off the glass in every way possible. He also made rebounding pretty cool. I mean, look, if you know me, you know how much I favor defense. It's the only reason I played significant minutes in high school, and it's something I love to analyze. Rodman is a player I look to in terms of rebounding, because he treats the ball like it's a gold brick, as you should. Or, as I like to say it, Rodman was a junkyard dog, and that ball was a piece of meat, and he got after it. So much so that he won the rebounding championship seven years in a row. From 91-92 to 97-98, averaging 18.7, 18 18.3, 17.3, 16.8, 14.9, 16.1, and a flat 15 rebounds per game. He would only average double-figure scoring in one year, which was a second at 11.6 per game which also wasn't one of his two all-star appearances. Those came in 89-90 and 91-92. He would earn his role on the Bad Boy Pistons by guarding the best players on the opposing teams, like Magic and Bird, and holding them below their averages. He would win two straight defensive player years in 89-90 and 90-91, helping the Pistons to two championships along the way. In their first championship against the Lakers, Rodman would average 5 points per game and 10 rebounds per game, while he would average 5.5 rebounds in only 4 games against the Blazers the next year. He would eventually be traded to the Spurs to join David Robinson for 2 years where he would be tra- before being traded to the Bulls for Will Perdue. Here we go with these bad trades again, man. I just <laughs> we're, we're not going to escape them. Rodman was the perfect fit for the second half of the Bulls dynasty, as he was a great replacement for Horace Grant. And by great replacement, I mean like the best replacement possible for Horace Grant. In the Worms' first finals against the Sonics, he would have 7.5 points, 14.7 rebounds, and 2.5 assists going against Kemp and the Glove. The next year against the Jazz, Rodman would put up 2.3 points, 7.7 rebounds, and 1.5 assists in 1997. In the last dance year of 98, Rodzilla, or as Jordan would like to say, Rodzilla, would put up 3.3 points, 8.3 rebounds, and 1.2 steals per game, even though he skipped practice in the middle of the finals to wrestle with Hulk Hogan on live TV. He would be released by the Bulls in 99 and signed with the Lakers. And he would miss out by another string of championships by one year as he was waived in the summer of 99 before the Lakers started winning three in a row. He would then end his career with the Mavericks, still averaging 14.3 rebounds per game, even though it was in 12 games. At the age of 38, though, Rodman would finish his career by averaging an incredible 13.1 rebounds per game in 14 seasons and go down as the best defensive player, in my opinion, but as one of the best defenders in the league, that the league has ever seen. And that would put him in the hall in 2011. Number 26, Wilt Chamberlain. So the Lakers get it. They go to Wilt with it. He's going to the basket. And he did it with a right hand and it had to hurt. Wilt fits both definitions of legend according to Oxford. He is, one, an extremely famous and notorious person in basketball. And two, a traditional story sometimes popularly regarded as historical but unauthenticated. Wilt's career is somewhat shrouded in mystery, especially for someone who played as late as the 70s. There is so much of his career that is undocumented or has no tape, including his 100-point game. But of what we, of what we have, he was an all-star every year except for one, where he only played 12 games that year. He would start out his career by leading the league in scoring for six straight seasons, <laughs> good God, averaging... 
50.4. That's right. I said 50.4. 44.8, and 34.7 points per game. He would also lead the league in rebounding in his first four years at 27, 27.2, 25.7, and 24.3 rebounds per game. So, he obviously won the 59-60 Rookie of the Year and the MVP. Just some of the many awards in his legendary career. He would, he would start playing for the Philadelphia Warriors before they moved to San Francisco. He was then traded back to Philadelphia to join the 76ers in 64-65. In his three and a half years in Philly, he would lead the league in scoring again in 65-66 at 33.5 per game. And lead the league in rebounds three times at 24.6, 24.2, and 23.8 rebounds per game. He would win the rest of his MVPs in his three full seasons with the 76ers. He would even lead the league in total in total assists in 67-68, but would not average the most. He would help the 76ers to the 67 championship as Will averaged 17.7 points and 28.5 rebounds per game as they would beat Rick Barry and Wilt's former Warriors team in six games. He would then be traded to the Lakers in 68-69 to join Elgin Baylor and the Logo. In his five years in Tinseltown, the Stilt would lead the league in rebounds four times, including his last three seasons in the NBA, averaging 21.1, 18.2, 19.2, and 18.6 rebounds per game. The Lakers would make the finals in four of Wilt's five seasons there, including the 72 finals, where they would win over the Knicks, and he would average 19.4 points and 23.2 rebounds per game to take home the finals MVP. For his amazing career, Wilt would average 30.1 points, only second to MJ all-time, by 0.05 points per game, and 22.9 rebounds per game to make the Hall of Fame in 1979. Number 25, Dwayne Wade. people that are the consensus first player that you think of when you name a franchise. And Wade is definitely one of those guys as he is the guy for the Heat. Being a part of the 03 draft where, you know, he had to compare himself to guys like LeBron, Bosch, Carmelo Anthony, and others, he really it really did push him to be better. And you know, he would never average below double figures, so I guess it worked. Starting in his second season, he would make 12 straight All-Stars. Which, that first All-Star may have been helped by Shaq joining him in South Beach that same year. The duo would win the 2006 championship over the Mavericks in six games after being down 2 to nothing. Wade would average 34.7 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 2.7 steals, and 1 block per game to win the Finals MVP at the age of 24. Wade was a constant 20-plus point-per-game scorer as Shaq would eventually move on. He would even lead the league in points per, in scoring in 08-09 at 30.2 points per game. Two years later, he would be joined by Chris Bosh and King James. Wade would lead the Heat in scoring in their 4-2 2011 loss to the Mavericks at 26.5 points. 7 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.5 steals, and 1.5 blocks per game. Wade would follow that up by averaging 22.6 points, 5.2 assists, 1.4 steals, and 1.2 blocks in a 4-1 victory over a young OKC Big 3 of Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. The next year in a 4-3 win over the Spurs, D-Wade would put up 19.6 points and then 15.2 points in their 4-1 loss to the same Spurs in 2014. Wade was still a great player after LeBron left as he would regain his team back from the King. He would eventually sign with the Bulls, his hometown team, in 2016 before being waived after only a season alongside Jimmy Butler. He would then sign with the Cavs to team up with LeBron again, but that would only last 46 games before being traded back to the Heat for a 2024 second rounder. 
He would make the All-Star game in his final season as part of a farewell tour where he still averaged 15 points per game. Wade is criminally underrated. You could argue that he is the third or even second best shooting guard of all time, and I would not completely disagree with you. He would average 22 points, 5.4 assists, and one and a half steals per game for his career that would put him into the Hall of Fame in 2023. Number 24, Gary Payton. The best defensive point guard of all time, the glove brought winning back to Seattle. Like how Rodman was my inspiration for rebounding, Peyton was my inspiration on how to be a defensive guard whenever I played in high school. He was the first point guard to win the Defensive Player of the Year award in 95-96, where he would lead the league in steals at 2.9 per game. And he was the only point guard to do so until Marcus Smart won it in 2021-22. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, Peyton made Sean Kemp a way better player when he showed up. He was an all-star in what would have been 10 straight years if it was not for a 99 lockout. In the 96 finals against the 72-10 Bulls, GP would average 18 points, 7 assists, and 1.5 and steals per game in the 4-2 loss. And although Mike says that he had no problem with the glove... I think that he slowed him down once uh, he started to guard him more. As mentioned earlier, he was traded to the Bucks as a part of a Ray, of the Ray Allen trade where he would average nearly 20 points per game in 28 games. He would then sign with the Lakers to try and win a ring with Kobe Shaq and Karl Malone, but they would be nearly swept by the 4 Pistons as he would not do much. He would then be traded to the Celtics, play a whole year there before being traded and waived by the Hawks. He would then sign with the Heat in 2005 where he would finally win a ring alongside Shaq and Wade where he would average 27, 2.7 points, excuse me, 2 assists and 1 steal per game as a veteran backup point guard. He would end up retiring in 2007 and would average 16.7 points, 6.9 assists and 1.9 steals per game as he would trash talk his way into the Hall of Fame in 2013. Number 23, Kevin Garnett. Man, I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Anything's possible! Another great player on both ends of the court, Garnett started a revolution in basketball. He was the first player to go to the NBA straight out of high school in 20 years where he was selected with the fifth pick in 1995 by the Timberwolves. And although he didn't win Rookie of the Year, he proved to go to guys like Kobe and Jermaine O'Neal that you can make it in the, in the NBA out of high school and not absolutely bomb. It sparked a revolution that would include players like LeBron and Dwight Howard, up until 2006, when the rule got changed, the players are only eligible for the draft if they are one year removed from high school. Starting in his second season, he would have made 15 straight All-Stars if it, again, was not for the 99 lockout. Garnett would also help the Wolves get to the playoffs every year from 96-97 to 0304. 03-04 was Garnett's best year as he would be the first year who would lead the league in rebounds for four straight years, averaging 13.9, 13.5, 12.7, and 12.8 per game. Garnett would also carry the Timberwolves to the Western Conference Finals and take the Kobe Shaq Lakers to six games. Oh yeah, he also won MVP for that season as well. The Timberwolves would not make the playoffs again while KG was there. He then got moved to the Celtics to join Paul Pierce and Ray Allen to form the Big Three. They would immediately win the championship as KG would exclaim that anything is possible, like you heard earlier. The big ticket would end up would end up putting up 18.2 points, 13 rebounds, 1.7 steals, and a block in the 4-2 series win over the Lakers. He would also win Defensive Player of the Year in his first season as a Celtic, making his addition that more noteworthy. In the Lakers' revenge series in 2010, Garnett tried all he could against Pau Gasol, 
but came up short as he would average 15.3 points, 5.6 rebounds, 1.4 steals, and 1.3 blocks per game. He would take a break from All-Stars in 2011-2012 before going to his last All-Star game in 2012-2013, which would also be his last years as a Celtic. As mentioned earlier, he was part of the trade that sent him and Pierce to the Nets where he would not do much as it was his first season averaging below double figures. He would then be traded back to the Timberwolves after a season and a half in Brooklyn for Thaddeus Young, where he would spend his last season mentoring a rookie, Carl Anthony Towns. For his career, KG would average 17.8 points and 10 rebounds per game and go into the Hall of Fame in 2020. Number 22, Julius Irving. Another ABA player, Irving, is most likely the reason the merger happened, which means that he's one of the few players that saved basketball. The doctor will win three MVPs while playing for the New York Nets in the ABA, leading the league in scoring for each of those four years at 31.9, 27.4, and 29.3 points per game. He would even win the ABA championship in the league's final year over the Nuggets. His rights were sold to the 76ers before even playing a game in the NBA for the Nets. He would spend the rest of his career in the city of Broward Love. In his first year with the 76ers, they would make the 77 Finals, but lose to Bill Walton and the Trailblazers in six games. Irving would put up 30.3 points, 5 assists, 2.7 steals, and 1.2 blocks per game. They would make it back to the Finals in 1980 against the Lakers, and Kareem got hurt in Game 5 and would not play in Game 6 in Philly. All the Sixers needed to do was force a Game 7. They had a pretty good chance of winning. But this kid named Magic jumped center and, you know, the rest is history as the Lakers took it in six. Dr. J would average 25.5 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, and 2.3 blocks per game and also make one of the most iconic shots of all time with the craziest reverse Man, layup ever. He did a move, which is the all-time greatest move I've seen. Magic and I were sitting there, and we were sitting right on the baseline. And when Dr. J left his feet, he didn't know what he was going to do. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. He got the ball in one hand. And we said, wait a minute, he's got to come down. There's no that was Magic and Michael Cooper describing that crazy layup that happened in game four. He would follow that year up with his lone NBA MVP, averaging 24.6 points, 8 rebounds, 2.1 steals, and 1.8 blocks per game, but losing the Eastern Conference Finals to the Celtics. They would make it to the Finals again in 1982, but follow the Lakers in six once again as Julius averaged 25 points, 8.2 rebounds, 1.8 steals, and 1.3 blocks per game. Dr. J would definitely reach the mountaintop the next year when Moses Malone came to town as the Sixers would sweep the Lakers in 83. Irving would average 19 points, 8.5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2.8 blocks per game. He was still a great player until he retired in 1987. He would average 24.2 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2 steals, and 1.7 blocks per game for his career where he would make the Hall of Fame in 1993. And he probably could have made it there based on either his ABA or NBA career. But I'm glad we have both. Number 21, Anthony Davis. Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Anthony Davis scored as a good one of the best power forwards of all time, Davis could probably top that list and be higher on this one if it was not for injuries. Davis would come in with high hopes around the league as he was the lone college player on the 2012 Olympic team and he would be drafted number one overall by the then New Orleans Hornets. But he would not win Rookie of the Year. It may have been the Hornets mascot because 
He became a constant all-star once they changed to the Pelicans in his second year. He would also lead the league in blocks for two straight years, averaging starting in that second year, as he would average 2.8 and 2.9 blocks per game. He would really pick up a scoring in his third year at 24.4 per game. He would eventually get up to 28.1 in 2017-2018. The same year, he would lead the league in blocks for a third time at 2.6 per game. He would be traded to the Lakers in 2019 to join LeBron in the City of Angels, where they would win a championship in their first year while in the bubble. AD would average 25 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 2 blocks per game in a 4-2 victory over the Heat. It has not been that great ever since that apparent, quote, Mickey Mouse ring, as Davis has not been healthy enough to play consistently, having Charles Barkley give him the nickname Street Clothes. Davis has played a combined 132 games in three full seasons since that championship. But just like Kawhi, AD has never played a full regular season in his career. AD is going to be a Hall of Famer without a doubt in my mind. That will be it for this week. I want to thank you for listening so much. I'm sorry that this came out late on Saturday, but again, I've been very busy recently, and so I'm trying to get the sun as fast as I can. I promise you that. So just want to thank all the people that I use uh, audio for NBA, ZGL, Highlight Warriors, House of Highlights, Maximilian 711, Beyond the Game, Bleacher Report, Ryan Van Dusen, Dunkman 827, Frank Smith, Clutch Points, ESPN, and 70s Fan. Thank you so much. It really does improve this episode a lot. And that will be it for this week. Just be sure to follow me on Twitter slash X at DFR00. And I'll talk to you next week. Peace. Thank you.